Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. for preaching last week. I listened to his message, Harry. Wonderful job of presenting God's Word. And uh, yes, you had some volume going last week, didn't you? <laughs> and, and yes, it was, a, it was a wonderful sermon, thank you, about revival. And uh, we've kind of been talking a little bit about this in, in that revival starts with our heart, with a believer's heart and with a believer's prayer from... Uh, the Chronicles passage. So I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 7 and we're going to continue hopefully in that realm of taking a look at what's going on inside of our hearts. Mark chapter 7 is where we'll be today and I've listed both of the passages in Mark and Matthew. I'm going to read both of them because there's a little bit something different in each. But if you have your bulletin, you can take some notes if you so choose. Jesus, uh, it's, well, it doesn't quite say that yet, but Jesus has left the area of Galilee where he has spent over a year, and I think this is interesting, with little results. Jesus <laughs> spends a year with a group of people in the region of Galilee, and there are not a lot of spiritual believers that are coming out of that uh, of that experience. And so, Jesus enters the region of the Gentiles. And that's what it says in our text today. He leaves behind the cries of the Pharisees. From early in Mark, we discovered that they want to get rid of him. Leave behind the cries of the Pharisees to crucify him and enters the area to inaugurate the plan to bring salvation to the world. John 3.16, For God so loved the world. And so he leaves the area of Galilee and goes to the area of the Gentiles. And what he's doing here in our passage today is basically inaugurating in front of his disciples the plan to bring salvation to the world. And he chooses, and it's interesting that uh, uh, Mark uh, goes into great deal about this woman's background. He chooses a clever Greek, Syrian, Phoenician born woman, and in Matthew it tells us that she's also a Canaanite. Jesus chooses this woman to teach his Jewish disciples this lesson about his plan to bring salvation to the world. So, Mark chapter 7 and verse 24 is where we'll pick up and then we'll turn back a few uh, pages to Matthew chapter 15. This is how Mark records the story. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek... She was born in Syrian Phoenicia, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. And this is how Jesus responds. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, that seems like 
wow, Jesus, you're getting, getting pretty uh, rude here. But this is her reply. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. All right, turn over to Mark chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 15. And we'll read the story there. And Mark includes a few extra little details. Mark chapter 15 and verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terrible from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. That is the reading of God's word. So we're going to take a few ideas from the text and then we're going to spend a little bit of time at the end talking about what we're going to call detours. Uh, number one, Israel was never intended to be the end of God's saving purpose, but the means to the end. Israel was never intended to be the end of God's saving purpose, but the means to the end. And if you remember back in the book of Genesis, there was nothing particularly exceptional about Abraham. There wasn't anything that stood out that God would choose his race to bring us the Messiah, but he did. He chose Abraham. And Israel then, with the plan of salvation, the, the goal was to bring the gospel through Israel to the world. The only problem, and you know it, they rejected the Messiah. So at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, there were probably, and this is interesting, so Jesus is on earth about three years, at least ministry-wise. At the end of his ministry, there were probably around 500 Christ followers. But in Acts chapter 2, after Peter's sermon, those 500 become 3,000 as the disciples follow the Great Commission and go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts chapter 4, five more thousand are added. So now we're up to 8,000. And today, at least on paper, at least on paper today, 2.4 billion Christians in the world. Revelation 5 verse 8 says that in heaven there will be every tribe, language, people, and nation. So really those first few, if you want to say 500 then, in 2,000 years, at least currently, 2.4 billion Christians on 
the earth. Israel was never intended to be the end of God's salvation, but the means to the end. They didn't do it, but God, of course, had a different plan. Number two, Jesus is using this time to train his disciples that soon they will bring the message of salvation to the world. Right now, according to our text, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm here initially for the people of Israel. I'm here initially for the Jews. But Jesus is using this time to train his disciples that really in a course of a year or so, they're going to be proclaiming this good news to the entire world. And as I shared, Mark goes into great detail about this woman's heritage. He's teaching the disciples that they too will bring the message of faith really to red, red, brown, yellow, black, and white. They are all precious in his sight. And so Mark tells us, first of all, that she's a woman. So back then, that didn't have a whole lot of clout. And that woman would probably not even normally be uh, uh, admitted into the presence of these men. But she was. Then she, it says that she was a Gentile. And remember, people would go all, Jewish people would go all the way around Samaria so they wouldn't have to enter the region of the Gentiles. Number three, she was a Canaanite. And the Canaanites were cursed by God. And Joshua was supposed to get rid of the Canaanites back at the Promised Land. Uh, number four, it, uh, she is from the Roman-controlled Syria Phoenicia area where she was probably introduced to pagan idols. And to top it all off, she is from the region or the city of Tyre, which is where Jezebel lived and the people were engulfed there, and we're going to talk about it later in our message, in Baal worship. So really, this woman has everything going against her. She would be considered a great outcast. And I read this in a commentary this past week, seen as lower than a Jewish tax collector. So, I mean, she was an outcast. She had everything going against her. But Jesus is going to show his disciples he came to love and to save the entire world. Including a wretch like you and I. And number three, her persistence pays off. So this woman is a mom and she has a young daughter. Eight, nine, ten years old. Who the Bible says is suffering terribly from demon possession. And in Matthew, as we read that passage, we didn't get it in Mark, but in Matthew as we read that passage, she calls out to Jesus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. So, if you remember, back in Mark chapter 3, verse 8, it says that Jesus went to this region of Tyre and Sidon before... And uh, while he was there, there's a good possibility that this woman heard about him. So she addresses Jesus, uh, so she probably knew who he was. So the way she addresses him probably shows that she knew a little bit about him and maybe his saving, uh, saving history. Jesus says in John three uh, 6.37 that whoever comes to him, he will by no means cast out. So his response, and we said it was a little weird. He says, first let the children eat all they want. 
And then he says, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Okay, it sounds pretty intense, like what in the world is going on here? Uh, Jesus, that doesn't seem very loving. But what he was doing was he was fishing out her saving faith. And she seized upon it with her cleverness. I mean, this was a woman that you wouldn't normally want to get in an argument with because she'd have a good comeback. And so she does here. And I love what she says to Jesus. She says, uh, but even the dogs... So, I mean, she could have just said fine and left. I mean, she could have... I mean, in our world today, people get offended at the, at the least little thing. She could have just said, okay, fine, forget it. And she could have just walked out. But she was there for her daughter, and she knew who Jesus was. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. That's a good comeback. Jesus says, hey, you know, I'm here for the children of Israel, and I don't feed, we don't feed, you know, we don't feed you dogs right yet. And she says, yeah, but even the dogs get some crumbs when the children drop them from the table. So it's a pretty good response. And if you think back, she was good soil. There had been something stirring in her, and she was good soil. And the disciples needed this lesson about their future assignment. Remember when the disciples saw her? They're just, they're just mad. Get her out of here. We don't want anything to do with her. Get her out of here. And the disciples then are all this time watching. And they needed this lesson about their future assignment of bringing the gospel to fertile soil. And because of her persistence, the Bible says, her daughter is healed. Now we're going to take a little detour here, in fact. Have you ever spoke these words? I never signed up for this. Right. Have you ever spoken those? <laughs> oh, I have a million different times. I never signed up for this. Sometimes these kinds of moments take us on detours. Places that we never thought we would go. And, you know, right now in Minnesota, there are lots of detours. You know, you see them all over the place. I can't tell you how many times I've gone down Highway 5 and was wanting to turn on 41 to go to Home Depot and... It was a massive detour. So I had to go all the way back and around. Vicki and I did it a number of times. And she said, what are you going to get through your head that you can't go that way? And I, yeah, I know. So we got to go all the way around. And I'm not good with detours. Going places where we never thought we would go. And our kids have taken us on detours. Maybe our marriages have taken us on detours. Maybe our jobs have taken us on detours. Maybe the debt that we have has taken us on detours. But it's how we respond to those detours that will make the journey a little bit more bearable. We're going to talk about this in terms of two different people. Sometimes God allows detours in our lives. And when they come, how do we navigate them? All right, I thought that was a good lesson for us, at least a good lesson for me. When detours come, 
And they all do. I mean, you could probably raise your hand that you're experiencing a detour right now. Maybe this whole thing that we're going through is a detour. For sure, we never signed up for this. Sometimes God allows detours in our lives. And when they come, we want to discover how to navigate them. And we're going to take a look at two examples. One of them is this woman. But the other one is Elijah in the Old Testament. And so if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Kings. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And by the way, when uh, Fanny Crosby memorized the Pentateuch, I don't know if you heard that, that's actually Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. She memorized the first five books of the Bible. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, 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 including that. So, 1 Kings, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth... First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. There, I got it. All right, chapter nineteen, and we are going to see from the life of Elijah how a detour spiraled him downward. Chapter eighteen, and this is probably a pretty familiar story to you. Chapter eighteen, you can read it later. Uh, Elijah confronted the 450 plus prophets of the idol uh, Baal and with a great victory calling down from heaven which consumed the sacrifice and then Elijah proceeded to kill those 450 prophets of Baal. This is a very brief idea of what chapter 18 is about. But then look at chapter 19. So Ahab, after, after having a tremendous spiritual experience, uh, has a detour. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel, King Ahab, his wife Jezebel, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. Well, we know later in the story that the gods do deal with her, and it's pretty severe. You can uh, find that out. If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. All right? Elijah in chapter 18 does this amazing prophetic miracle calling down fire from heaven and then they go on and kill the 450 prophets of Baal and now Jezebel, Queen Jezebel says that I'm going to make your life Elijah like one of the prophets that you killed. Alright, so what does Elijah do? Well, the first thing he does, it says Elijah was afraid. Alright? The second thing he does is he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, so now he's by himself, where he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Alright? His emotions now are getting the better of him. He's afraid. He's isolated. He's by himself. He's fleeing. And now his, emotionals, uh, uh, his emotional state is in a bad place. 
And he says, I have had enough, Lord. <laughs> just, just yesterday you were, you, were, you were amazing. And now you could see how he just kind of started the spiral down. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. <laughs> That's a third, that, well, that might be the, 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 the fifth thing he did. He went to sleep. There's a song by James Taylor. It says, sleep come free me. And sometimes, you know, when we, when we are in a bad place, just throw up our hands and say, I'm going to bed. I'm just going to bed. Sleep come free me. And so let's keep going. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Alright, so I think that's interesting. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So he's still not in a good position here, and he ends up fleeing to a cave and spends the night. I love this. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? That's the Lord speaking to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, and now he's starting to complain, and this is sometimes what we do when we go on detours. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> Again, even after all that, still complains. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, you can just see this, the Lord said to him, all right, just take a chill pill here for a second. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus, where you get, when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, from Abel, Maholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. And then here's kind of a comforting verse. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel. All those knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So basically, the Lord says, hey, 
I got this. I got this. This little detour you are on can be remedied. We can take care of this and I will. And so that's one way of dealing with detours. You become fearful, you retreat, you isolate, your emotions run amok, you sleep to escape, and then you complain. That's, that's one way. And I've done that way. I've done that way before, and maybe you have too. But there's also another way, and it's from our text this morning. Matthew 7, 27 to 30 uh, talks about now, instead of spiraling down when the detour comes, you can spiral up. You can spiral up. So if you go back to our text, let's see what this woman does. She's got a detour. I mean, she did not expect her child to be possessed by demonic activity. I mean, it's a major detour in her life. But what does she do with her detour? All right, let's find out. And let's look at verse 27. Well, no, let's, let's just jump back. So, I mean, basically, she comes to Jesus. She's got a detour. The first thing she does is she went to Jesus. A couple of weeks ago at camp, we were having uh, some, some family issues, some extended family issues. And it seems like whenever I go to camp and I'm doing something for the Lord, it seems like we get spiritually attacked, our family does. And I can remember getting a call and saying that we, 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 we got a little bit of an issue. And so I remember going to bed that night. It was Wednesday night. And I really did not know how to pray. I didn't know what to do. I, I mean, I'm at camp and everybody else is at home and in California. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, what do, I, you know, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I just felt the Lord saying to me, just call to me. Just call to me. So literally, for probably 15 minutes, I just laid in bed and I just said, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help, I mean, I was just, it was just, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. And I, you know, it, that was one of my longer prayers. And all I said was, help me, Lord. Just over and over and over and over again until I fell asleep. And I remember waking up in the morning with kind of like an epiphany. Like the Lord gave me something that I was able to call back and give some advice. And uh, that's what this woman did. She went immediately to Jesus. And she was persistent in her plea. She begged him. She got down on her knees and begged him. And she didn't take no for an answer. You know, she could have said, yeah, okay, whatever, I'm a dog, bye. You know, but she doesn't take no for an answer. And she trusted Jesus to take care of the problem. She doesn't drag him to her house, you know. Yeah, but Lord, she, I, know, I know you said she's going to be healed, but she's over there. Don't you need to come to my house? She, she, she trusted Jesus to take care of the problem. And then you got to believe that when she got home, she was praising the Lord. I mean, you got to believe that the Bible says uh, she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. You've got to believe she's praising the Lord. So, hey, detours, they happen. Maybe you're in one of life's detours right now. And, and you might be saying, yeah, I am. 
And this has given me some insight onto how I might respond. Because at times, we've all said, Hey Lord, I, did, I didn't sign up for this. At the bottom of your bulletin insert, it says, How relentless is your pursuit of God? How relentless is your pursuit of God? Or you could say, How persistent, taking a line from this woman. We're going to sing our song to close our service. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in a time of storm. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. It, it, gosh, it can speak to our daily lives. And for some of us, we're going through a little bit of a detour, kind of like this woman who had a child that was possessed. Some of our detours have to do with our families. Some of our detours have to do with our jobs. Some of our detours have to do with this whole coronavirus thing. Some of our detours are maybe God-ordained. And Lord, how we respond is very, very important. Help us to remember that Jesus is a rock in a weary land. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.